Welcome to the Mastering the Mind podcast, where we take you through professional elite athletes and coaches' stories about how they cope with the psychological demands of competing at elite level. Hi guys, I just wanted to let you know that after having now finished our studies and having worked privately with the various clients these past few months, we have now officially launched our sports psychology consultancy called Mastering the Mind. This means we are now accepting clients. So whether you're an athlete who wants to work on a specific performance concern or who is just committed and motivated to take the performance to the next level, then feel free to reach out to us. You may also be a coach who wants to improve some aspects on how you manage the coach-athlete relationship or who is motivated to learn more on how you can maximize the way you coach through mental strategies. Just know we would love to help out any way we can. For more information, please visit www.mtmconsultancy.org or just send us a message on our various social media accounts at mtm underscore OFF. Right, back to the episode. Today we welcome Daniel Ginadu to the podcast. Daniel is a professional footballer playing at the goalkeeper position. He has played for various clubs such as Chelsea, West Ham and Barnsley. Daniel has represented England at under 15 and under 16 level before opting to play for Nigeria, the country of his birth. He started three games for the Super Eagles under 17 to the 2019 under 17 FIFA World Cup in Brazil, reaching the round of 16. Outside of football, Daniel is currently studying a degree in psychology at the University of East London. Daniel has also done a lot of work with Barnes Academy, undertaking a work placement as an assistant sports psychologist. So let's welcome Daniel to the podcast. Hello, hello. Hello, good evening. Good evening, how are you? Yeah, I'm cool, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, good, good. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. How's David? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I've had a little training session of some goalkeeping today and that. And then, yeah, just been chilling. Oh, yeah. It's off-season, right? So you're working... Are you, like, resting or are you, like, straight into it, like, working hard? Yeah, so I've been resting for the past a week and a bit now. So we just got called with some of, the, some of the keepers I know and the goalkeeper coach to just do a session today, just stay sharp. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. like, one or two a week just to stay sharp and maintain fitness. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, somewhere we like to start with our guests when they come on the podcast is... For our listeners to get to know you a bit better straight away so if you were to sort of talk us through your journey today it gives us like an overview what would that look like yeah so you know i started playing in ireland playing sunday league in ireland i lived in ireland for 11 years and then you know sunday league in ireland and then to i moved went on trial to bigger clubs in dublin city like home farm and st kevin's i played there for a couple of years and then moved over to England, in which I, you know, decided to play my for my local Sunday league team. Then, you know, done well there and ended up getting scouted by Chelsea. Then, yeah, ended up <clears throat> signing for Chelsea, played for Chelsea for about three years and then moved on to West Ham, which I was there for about four years. And then currently moved to Barnsley last season. Barnsley were in the championship. So, yeah, that's where I'm currently at now. Okay. okay. Out of interest, like, which uh, which club do you support? Um, obviously, you play for a lot of London clubs. Uh, which one do you support? Yeah, growing up, yes. I'm from Ireland. I grew up yeah. in Ireland. So, you know, me and us, I've supported Man United since. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
no. we're big United fans as well, but it's a, it's a sticky spot for us at the moment. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, growing up watching, you know, Ronaldo, Mendesar, and stuff like that, yeah. Mm. yeah. Which, Which were like your biggest inspirations? Yeah, definitely Van der Sar. Yeah. Growing up, yeah. watching him, Victor Valdez. Oh, right. Back in the yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to like OG keepers from back in the day. I remember Oliver Kahn. He was <laughs> one uh, I used to watch loads. Literally. Yeah. Huh? The voice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Dida, Dida. Yeah, I don't know. If, do people rate Dida? I don't know. I feel like when I was growing up, everyone like rated him. I don't know. Yeah. Seems to be a legend. Underrated legend. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Were you always like a a goalkeeper, or did you like play outfield like to begin with? Yeah, I've, I've I've always been a goalkeeper. Yeah, so yeah. I've been quite always quite been quite big for my age. So when I was younger, yeah. went in goal and you know enjoyed it a lot. Stuck with it. I was able to kick long and you know assist some some of the strikers who were playing on my Sunday league team when I was young and stuff like that. Yeah, so I've always been a keeper. Yeah, was it always your dream to sort of play professionally? Yeah, it was. It was. You know, so every I think it's you know when you're growing up, it's every young boy's young boy's dream, especially you know playing in school and you know being active and yeah, it's, it was definitely a dream, but. Obviously, when you're when you're that young, you're still just playing for fun and and stuff like that. But as you get older, you're actually like and you enjoy it more, and you watch other like professionals play on TV. You're like, oh, okay, cool, this is something I'd love to do and stuff like that. Mm. So you've gone to you've gone to Chelsea. What was the process there like? Obviously, have, have scouts come over from Chelsea to to Ireland? And no, no, no. I got scouted to from Sunday League. Okay. Okay. Over here in mm. England. Right. You know, playing in the Selkent League. Okay. Yeah, did they come to like your parents and be like, oh yeah. Yeah, they all came to watch a yeah. game and oh wow. And then yeah, played well in the game and then you know contacted my parents and then yeah, moved on from there. What age group uh sort of was it at Chelsea when when you were I was there? like under under thirteens. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What was it like playing in that academy? Because obviously Chelsea's renowned for being one of the best academies in the world. Yeah, so, so much talent that they've uh, developed. What was it like being there? Yeah, literally it was amazing. Like, you know, looking back on it, when you're in it, you might not... Obviously, when I first got there, I was just like, wow, like, it's, you never obviously experienced such, like, high-quality facilities and everything. The quality of the training, the tempo, the speed is, is so high. Like, yeah, just being there... You know, the way they train, everything, obviously, definitely contributed to the goalkeeper I am today. Like, most definitely, yeah. I know it was quite a long time ago. Like, do you remember what you kind of took from your time in, in Chelsea, would you say? Like, what were the kind of, like, main lessons or, like, what helped you become that the goalkeeper you are today, would you say? Oh, yeah. It was definitely because, you know, at Chelsea, I was able to, you know, work and develop the specific goalkeeping techniques that are required to, you know, play at the highest level, in mm. which, you know, you don't really get whilst you're playing Sunday League, you're just, you know, saving shots. So they really, you know, taught me the technical and tactical side of being a goalkeeper at like the highest level, the professional side of it, you know, a lot of these things, like just the, a lot of the high performance stuff that's not really you know taught 
at Sunday League level, it's only at the highest level, yeah. So that's a lot what I took from there. Yeah. Obviously, uh, when you you play for an academy, you get invited to some of the first team games and things like that. Who was the keeper at the time? Yeah, so when I was there, it was Courtois and, okay. and um, Begovic. Begovic okay. was there when I was ball boy. I was yeah. ball boying for one of the games. What were some, some of the sort of main takeaways you took from like watching those boys? Did, did, did they inspire you or did you take anything away from them? Yeah, definitely. You know, when I was younger, watching them, it's just obviously like, wow, obviously seeing them in person, just trying to learn from the way they do things, you know, the way they move around the goal and, you know, safe shots and just impose the, the physique in the goal and everything, yeah. That's crazy. Like, it seems like it was only a few years ago Courtois was playing at Chelsea. That's mad. Yeah. Time has flown. <laughs> Time flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Supporting him in the Champions League final on Saturday. Hello, <laughs> Madrid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Oh, no, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, like, I'm a huge fan of Charlie Musonda. Obviously, he's from Belgium. Like, this wasn't a planned question, but what are your thoughts on, on Charlie Musonda? And yeah, has well, he... Like, has his kind of name, like, stuck around in the, in the academy a bit? Like, has he kind of inspired different players around the academy, would you say? Or Yeah, when I was there, he was, you know, a couple of years older than me. So, obviously, yeah. you know, my age group, we used to see him in the technical, you know, area at Chelsea. And everyone was just like, wow, that guy is such a baller. Just, <laughs> he's do, he could do so much skills and everything. And you're just like, obviously, watching him train. And you're just like, wow, like, no, nah, he was a real talent when I was there. And everything so yeah you know when I was younger you're just in the academy like you know when you see players like that who are, you know so big it's like you're just like wow like <laughs> look yeah, at yeah, him yeah. I'm like you're in the same training ground as these players and everything so yeah it was it's really amazing there were some of the other players in sort of your age group uh or, or players that impressed you when you was joining the, uh, the academy yeah some of the other players that we're in my age group, like people like Armando Broja, who's oh, yeah. played yeah. for Southampton now. Some other guys, Denel Samu, Henry Lawrence, who's who's at Wimbledon, and um Force Tino Andurin, who's at Huddersfield, and then Tino Livermento used to, you know, mm. he was the year below us, but he used to train with us most of the time. Yeah, well, they're, they're, obviously they've gone on to do great things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. Chelsea's academy really is like one of the best. Some of the names that gets brought out of that academy are, are just joke for players. Um, but yeah, obviously, uh, moving on from Chelsea, like you've gone to West Ham. In terms of like when you get released from somewhere like Chelsea, what's their sort of process like? Like, how did that go happen? As in how I found out or yeah, so how you found out? Was it gradual or was it like a one-off meeting? Did they tell yeah, your parents just, before you? It was just a one-off meeting with my, my parents, yeah. Okay. That's how it was. Yeah. How, how did you sort of feel? Yeah, it was really emotional, emotional period, you know, because obviously your parents are there, you know, so it's like you feel like you've, you've let them down because obviously all the hard work over the years and stuff like that. So it was it was a really emotional period, you know, but... Thankfully, I was able to, you know, the day after the meeting, I was straight on on the train on trial to other clubs, you know, straight away. So it was it was good. I didn't really have much time to, you know, dwell in it 
thankfully I was able to, you know, look forward to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've spoken to a variety of uh, kind of academy coaches on the podcast and they've kind of taken us through kind of their process of like, depending on what club they're at. And um, one process that they had was actually getting obviously the parents involved, but also the player involved as to like, you know, who does the news go to, the players or the player himself? And was it, in your case, was it just your parents that told you the news or was it like a specific coach that you got along with at Chelsea that kind of took you aside or, you know, that, how was that kind of process? Yeah, I, I, got, I got told in a meeting alongside my parent, okay. one of my parents, by the academy manager at, mm. at um, Chelsea. Yeah, that's how it worked. Yeah. Some of the some of the coaches that have come on the podcast have mentioned that some of the players sort of um, know that it could be coming uh, in terms of uh, they know that they might not be successful at the club, so they're probably going to get released. Was it a shock to you that you were released, or or did you think right. it was? You know, because obviously it was at that time it was only me and one other keeper in my age group there. So you know, I. I you know, I did feel like I was at the level to obviously push on, but, you know, at the same time, you never know, like, uh, you never really know. So it was, it, it was a shock, but it was, I, I don't know, like, mm. yeah, it was just a little bit of both, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, I get you, I get you. Yeah. Okay. You then moved on to, to West Ham. So yeah. tell us more about your experience there. How, how was that? Yeah, it was great experience. You know, I've done my my schoolboy scholarship there. Yeah. You know, as a first year scholar, I trained with the first team quite a bit. I traveled with them on the first team training um training camp. Yeah. Started yeah, yeah. the season when I was 16. So you know I was with wow. goalkeepers like Adrian, you know, Nathan Trott and Joseph Anang who are, you know, other academy older academy goalkeepers there. And yeah, it was a great experience and Unfortunately, got injured in my first year as a first year scholar, which you know halted my my and my pathway and my progress. But you know, I was able to come back stronger before the end of that season. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. went in yeah. as a second year scholar and just pushed on. Okay, I'd love to look, dive into your injury, but first, I just want to know what were some things you learned from your time at Chelsea that you sort of took into your West Ham experience. Definitely the the high level of you know quality and standards and performance that they have at Chelsea. You know, just taking that in, and you know, because every time in training, but over there, you know, the level's high, so you have to make sure your your standards are high. So just taking that, and also you know the the technical and tactical ability that I learned from Chelsea. Just you know going into West Ham and you know developing that further and just perfecting those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big injury fan. I've sustained quite a bad one uh, in my career as a footballer, um, <laughs> as an amateur. But yeah, how was that kind of? Was that your first experience with a with an with an injury at at that level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first experience of a serious knee injury. Mm. So I tore my I tore my MCL. It was oh, like wow. a like a serious grade two MCL tear. So I was in a I had crutches. I had, yeah. was in a brace. Mm. leg brace which restricted restricted movement couldn't really put too much body weight on it because I had bone a little bit of bone bruising from the impact and stuff like that so yeah Yeah. it's first one yeah it was an impact injury it was a 
Yeah, it was just like, you know, collision with a player yeah. that, you know, caused the the ligament to tear. Mm. What were your initial like thoughts when when that happened? Oh, I was I was like horrified because obviously I was, you know, I've been doing well, I was, you know, playing with the 18s, training with the first team. I was about to, it was literally two days before their FA Youth Cup game, which is like quite a big thing, yeah. Massive, so, yeah. You know, end up missing out. So I never, now, because of that, you know, I never played in the FA Youth Cup and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a really tough, tough experience to take, you know, at first. Did you think, like, you would be able to bounce back from it, though? Like, in terms of those initial thoughts, did you think, oh, like, th- th- this is, like, holding my career up so much? Um, like, was there a lot of negative thoughts? Or did you think, you know, I'm going to come back from this better? Like, were there any positive thoughts? Yeah, like initially, I think it's just, you know, the anger, the frustration, you're feeling upset. I don't think I really had any negative thoughts about like me not coming back or anything, but it was just, you know, really frustrating, like anger, you know, just, yeah, stuff like that. But, you know, as, you know, as time went on, I accepted it and just focused on my rehab and the, pro- the process and that, yeah, just stay positive with that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, my kind of injury experience made me grow so much as a as a person. Um, I learned so much from it. Um, do you feel like you you kind of grew as a as a young lad through through that kind of injury period? Hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, through through my injury, I was able to develop on other aspects of my game. You know, upper body strength. Yeah. You know, do your different like movements in the gym and stuff like that, as well mm-hmm. as yeah, just you know, develop resilience mentally just the mental shift to because never you know having a serious injury and being able to you know go into the gym every day where everyone else is going outside on the pitch and you know going to the gym and most times you know especially at the start of my injury there's a limited amount of things you can do a limited amount of exercises so you're basically just doing the same processes every day like game ready and icing compressing using the complex um, all these movements just to maintain hypertrophy in your in your injured leg, and it's just so repetitive, and you just have to keep on going and not slack. It's it's not it's not an easy thing at all, you know, because especially when it's your first experience going through it, it's just you know just take it day by day and just have to have that mental grit to just keep going and not slack it off. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the stuff in like the literature is like around like obviously players feeling quite isolated when they're injured, which obviously you just mentioned that when you see the players going out and training. Is there anything you feel that coaches could help with when players are injured, like in terms of, you know, that that social thing? Is there a way that, that players could be integrated into like, not, not necessarily into training, but like, you know, back into the social bubble because a player could be out like with an MCL, but even an ACL uh, for like six months, you know, so surely there's got to be a way coaches can help out. Yeah, definitely. Um, At West Ham, you know, not particularly when I was injured, but, you know, as the years, as I got older, years go on, um, the coaches started implementing things like, you know, including the injured players in their analysis sessions, giving them group tasks to do in order to, you know, allow them to understand, you know, how the team's playing currently. So, you know, they're ready when they get back. So, yeah, I think things like that and, you know, other... Um, team building exercises that you know the injured players can take part in that can you know help you not feel you know left out 
But I feel I do feel like, you know, when I was injured, there was other injured players my age and, and older. So, you know, we were able to create a good group and it was a good atmosphere and vibe around that, you know, just helping each other and pushing each other on. So I feel like, yeah, that was really important and beneficial to have, you know, whilst you're injured, that injured injured group, you know. I think I think um physios and strength and condition coaches really on like underestimate the important role they have because they're they're around you like every day. And I think them kind of developing that kind of empathetic like empathy side and understanding you know kind of like the mental processes that go that happen when like during an injury period I think it's yeah. so important did you kind of feel that with the guys you were working with they were kind of like helpful you know provided you with some emotional support not only just like the physio exercises but that kind of chat and you know did you feel that or yeah definitely there's obviously some some staff that you know are good at it and some staff that might not be yeah. as good at it you know so yeah Yeah, there is, you know, staff members that, you know, they just remind you of, you know, don't worry to see the bigger picture and stuff like that. But, you know, especially when you're injured, you're just like, they're just saying it for the sake of it and stuff like that. But, yeah, you know, I feel like it's a real skill that the the coaches, you know, should have to be able to, you know, look at it from our perspective and, you know, try and be able to, you know, talk with us because, you know, but I know as I got older and I sustained the injury when I was older, I was able to, you know, look at it differently from, you know, compared to my first time. So, you know, you actually understand when the the coaches or the physios are telling you, okay, cool. So, yeah. Definitely. That physio point is definitely a, a huge point to make because they're ultimately like probably your closest contact in the club. You know, they're probably, I from, from my experience in clubs, that's like the best relationship a player has with the staff, like is with the physio or the, or the th- physiotherapist. Um, yeah, we had the physio on, didn't we? And uh, yeah. he got along so well with uh, all the players he was working with. And uh, That's, that's yeah. even an argument that, you know, some um, sports psychologists make that, you know, the physios become the new sports psychologists because, you know, they're so comfortable with the physio bed and, yeah. yeah, they just... So, yeah, instead of going to the sports psychologist, they go to the physio. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, it, it was like that at the club that I went to, like, <laughs> for sure. You know, yeah, same. They were so easily conversed yeah. with, the, with the physios rather than, yeah. you know, yeah. anyone else. The vibes, the vibes were definitely like in the physio room, like the treatment room, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Each time I'd walk past it, I was like, damn... I, I should have had a, yeah. I should have had the, I should have had a career as a physiotherapist because the vibes are just high in that. Yeah. No, yeah, but um, but yeah. Yeah, no. In terms of like, obviously your your career at West Ham. Um, so obviously you come back from your injury, and then carried on playing. Um, in terms of comparing the release process to Chelsea, what's West Ham's sort of process? Was it similar or? Um. <laughs> Uh, it was it was all right like you know to be honest I didn't really you know I got you know a couple calls from the obviously player care officer there maybe obviously after the 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 process and stuff but other than that there's not much that goes on with it you know because you know after getting released you know I stayed to train you know just to stay fit and everything and then yeah, they just, you know, I was just left to, you know, do what I could, what I was, what I went to do, you know, I ended up going on trial to Barnsley and stuff like that. 
But yeah, other than that, there was, you know, no, not much, you know. Support. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, uh, interesting to hear. Obviously, don't want to shed too much bad light on West Ham, but um, it's definitely important to highlight because I think the more stories we hear about this, the, the more these things are going to get solved. Like, I, I've done a lot of research around, you know, the impact of being released and, you know, how to have an actual positive transition. Uh, rather than a negative transition and you know involuntary career termination is obviously one of them it seems like West Ham sort of did that to you um how did you feel when that happened um compared to Chelsea when that happened you know I was obviously disappointed in it obviously disappointed but mainly because, you know, I felt like I didn't, you know, get the opportunity to, you know, show what I can actually do mm. and, you know, how it, how the, my year, my first year being a professional there went and everything. So it was obviously just very, very frustrating yeah. and upsetting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Do, do they provide any, did they, so did they provide any support in terms of like the, um, uh, like going on trial, for example, like, you know, helping you with finding a new club or, uh, it was mostly my agent that you know sorted okay. stuff like that out. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. they the goalkeeper coach they provided like re- references and stuff like that. Okay, mm. yeah. it's an interesting point you bring up about that uh, player care, like um, them slightly contacting you. But a point that we've been making with the podcast is that you know a lot of these players who get released from these clubs, the last thing they're going to want to do is sort of go back. Well, a lot of players. I'm going to want to go back to the club that just released them or ended their sort of dream. Obviously, you've gone on to play for, for Barnsley, which is obviously class, uh, and they're a really good club. But, you know, are you going to want to go back to liaise with the yeah. club that's just released you? I definitely think there's opportunity for, like, an external sort of uh, company, sports psychology company, to sort of um, support the players through that process that aren't actually tied with the club. I feel like that'd be so much more beneficial um, to the player uh, that needs to be facilitated, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could agree, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so moving on to your, obviously, uh, your time at Barnsley. Um, how's that been going then? Yeah, it was, you know, it's been a good experience, but, you know... <laughs> So I, um, obviously, you know, following a trial when I was released from West Ham, you know, I was successful. I played, you know, two game, two or three games for the under-23s here. And then, you know, I played well, kept two clean sheets and then was told to, you know, on trial, come and train with the first team and then, you know, done well there. So, you know, I was training with them whilst they were in the playoff for the last season's, you know, championship playoff and everything. So I was involved there. And then end up signing there as third choice keeper. So yeah, it was good to start with. You know, season with them was really good. You know, being in around the first team squad. You know, so going from twenty threes at West Ham into the first team squad at Barnsley was you know really good experience. You know, really exciting to be around. You know, first team players and everything. So yeah, it was it was going good. But then you know, unfortunately, just as the season start, I tore my PCL in training. And then, yeah, <laughs> I told my PCL in training just um, around September. And then, yeah, I was out again for um, 12 weeks, 12 weeks up until December, got back in December. Yeah. And then, yeah, when I got back, I was on a, ended up being on a bench in the championship in December. 
mm. at 19. So, yeah, it was bounced back quite nicely, thankfully, yeah. So, obviously, you, you sustained another big injury there, another 12-weeker. Like, how are, you, how are you feeling when these injuries are happening? Like, it must be so frustrating. Oh, yeah, horrible. Yeah. It's, how do you sort of yeah, get yourself through those moments, though? I made a whole I made a whole journey um injury journey on my YouTube channel just yeah, to okay. highlight this like psychology psychological side of it and stuff like that and literally it gives you a whole insight into you know how I you know stay positive through it how everything I went through and stuff like that yeah so I try to use it as motivation to you know okay cool this has happened to me again okay how can I use this situation to okay show people how I get back and stay positive so that you know other people who go through a similar thing you know have like a reference and show like just inspire them as well because you know once I did my PCL I was looking online on YouTube to see that because obviously you're just like oh no what am I going to go what am I going to have to go through and stuff like that I didn't really see anything like that so I was just that you know I've already been doing some stuff on my YouTube channel so I was like let me just make you know just document I did like a maybe that like record some of the exercises and the progressions and stuff like that and the whole experience mm. just to you know show people and just you know hopefully just give them hope you know whilst they're doing it through my journey so yeah just doing stuff like that helped me you know stay positive as well as you know my other stuff that I've been focused on the beyond football side of it so my my uni course you know so I was in the second year of my uni course so I had loads of assignments to do you know working on my own podcast so I was able to you know release a couple of podcast episodes and stuff like that and then you know work it I worked to use that period to work on you know building my TikTok so I was able to build some following on TikTok you know gain so now it has over like 50,000 views on TikTok and stuff like that so yeah I was just trying to keep myself busy you know doing other things outside football which you know helped me when I got that first injury at West Ham, because I was, you know, studying A-level psychology back then and stuff like that, which, you know, gave me something else to focus on other than the injury and stuff like that, which really, really helped. But obviously not, uh, besides all those things I was doing, it was, it was really some low points that obviously no one sees, you know, when you get back home and you're just so frustrating as to how it's gone and, you know, where you could have been and stuff like that. So... You know, even though, even though I did all those things, there was some real, real low points yeah. throughout, yeah. But, you know, it's just um, being able to have that resilience to keep going, yeah. It's definitely good, though, that you sort of used that time as a positive. Like, that that journey you put in your YouTube channel, obviously, links to everything you're doing will be in the description of the YouTube video. Um, I definitely feel like that's, that's honestly class. And, you know, a lot of the coaches who, obviously, your coaches now, will look at that as, you know, a real positive to you in terms of who they're going to select as their first team goalkeeper because, you know, you're showing psychological attributes that are super valuable in terms of, obviously, communication, but as well, like, leadership because a lot of these players who are injured, like you said, there's not really much out there for, for, for support for these injured players. You're sort of being a leader in that field in terms of, you know, how to deal with this injury process. I feel like a lot of players who get injured just ghost for the for, for the injury, the time that they're injured, and then yeah. just come back and you suddenly hear of them again. Um, it's definitely good that you use that time as sort of a growing experience. And yeah, like I said, I feel, I feel like coaches will look at that and think, wow, like 
there's someone valuable to the team. Yeah, that's that's the whole aim, you know. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. I was just, sorry, I was just gonna ask, do you feel like making those videos was kind of like a, a kind of therapy for you? Like there's a technique, you know, in, in, in sports psychology where you know to help cope with the injury process called journaling. So obviously, like writing your feelings, going what you're going through during the day. Do you feel like that was like subconsciously you're kind of doing that or not not really? Uh to, to an extent, to an extent, you know, I was just focused on, you know, I've watched other injury recovery videos and, you know, mm. so I was looking at, okay, cool, this is another one. I can, uh, you know, something to watch back on and see my progress yeah. on, you know, how yeah. I've developed and how I've stuck with it. But, you know, it, defi- it definitely, you know, did act as that therapy, you know, just watching it back and through the weeks you go and then you're looking at, oh, I started off doing this and now I'm doing this, you know, it's getting better each week and, you know, it gives you that little motivation and encouragement. And just, you know, celebrating those small wins whilst being injured, which is, you know, so important. For sure, for sure. And just, you know, and, you know, whilst I was doing it, I was just, you know, editing it. And then, you know, as I was, you know, going through the weeks and adding more to it and it was just coming all together and I was just, it was obviously encouraging. And, yeah. yeah story. It's like a nice story. You see yourself progressing as well, like, through the process. Yeah. Um, super that could be like a tip, you know, for any injured athletes as well, you know, yeah. having different interests outside of your sport, you know, um, obviously, yeah. Tip, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that was the whole aim, you know, behind mm. doing that, you know, things people might not understand, oh, he's recording his injury, oh, he's being busy and stuff like that. But the bigger vision is, you know, just to highlight that beyond football side and yeah, just other stuff that you know goes through it and how you can deal with it effectively and stuff like that yeah, yeah. No, 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 i find it inspiring what you're doing there you're definitely like hustling like, I, I love to see it i think like what you're doing is similar to and he gets a lot of stick for this like ben foster um you know people always say on social media like oh like what, what why is he doing this like he obviously has his podcast his youtube channel and he's recording on game day and things like that and people think he's not focusing on his football he is focusing on his football but he's also having an interest outside of football which is like super important like obviously Watford have just got relegated for a lot of players in that Watford squad that's going to hit them it's like they're going to experience a lot of psychological distress but for Ben Foster obviously He's going to be gutted that they've just been relegated, but it's not going to hit him as hard because he's got other interests outside of football. His identity is not just Ben Foster, the goalkeeper. He's so much bigger than that. Facts. (laughs) (laughs) Just facts. It's beautiful. It's beautiful for you to say that because Ben Foster is one of my, you know, biggest inspirations, you know, just the way he does everything, you know, it's really, he's the one who inspired my, inspired my YouTube channel, my, you know, just as a goalkeeper, that identity he does, his podcast, everything that like, I just feel like it's just amazing what he's doing. And, you know, for me, you know, I want to hopefully, you know, one day be on the Fuzzcast or just meet okay. him or be able to do, you know, just, you know, just experience him and stuff like that. Because, yeah, it's facts. And it's just, yeah, beautiful to see the way. Because I know, like, through him developing his YouTube channel, his other side hustles and that, the amount of like benefits he can get from that, the amount of other extra money he can get from that and everything and just other purpose to and side of himself. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. But you talk about him sort of coming coming to the end of his career, like he is getting on. You know, 
one a positive transition factor is is a wider identity and having other career options. When he comes out of his footballing career, he's going to be open to so many opportunities in the media. Like people are touting him for things like uh, a match of the day sort of host and things like that. So, like he's not gonna. A lot of footballers come out of football when when they get uh, when they retire and they're sort of not knowing what to do. They do go through dark periods, and some have often talked about you know feeling depressed because yeah. they're not sure what to do with themselves. They're, they're so Have used the to going into training every day mm. with the lads, having that footballing environment, and then suddenly they're on their own, and it's hard for them to deal with. So it's hard. Credit to him. Credit to him for because he is sharing that that message also of the wider identity. John sent me a clip earlier of he, he put it on his TikTok uh, talking yeah. about wider identities. So. I reposted that as well, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a nice clip. Like, in in like a minute, he summarizes everything, and it's just perfect. Everything he says, like, I love that clip. Um, yeah, yeah. He's definitely a huge inspiration. Um, yeah, we talk about identity. I think every podcast, like, that's really a message we try to promote. Um, you know, having interests outside of of sport, and you're not only a an athlete, you're also a person. Um, so yeah, definitely. That's, that's literally yeah. The whole thing I'm I'm trying to push through mm. my YouTube channel and, and podcast as well, yeah. So it's beautiful mm. to yeah. hear that message. Just touching on a, a more, um, so obviously we, we just spoke about your injury, which is obviously quite a negative experience. Talking about a positive experience during your Barnsley career, obviously getting called up to the first team and having that first day, first team match day experience. What were some things you sort of gained from that that, that match day experience being on the bench? Yeah, it was just, for me, it was just amazing. Like, you know, championship in a stadium with fans, you know, going out to warm up, having my name on the shirt, you know, the number 13, you know, so, like, it's stuff that, you know, growing up, especially through the academy system, it's like, this is, these are like the moments you dream of and you're just like, wow, like, yeah. it was a real, you know, just a special experience because, you know, it feels like, especially, you know, just coming back from injury, it feels like, you know, the hard work is paying off and, you know, you're, you know, it's the light, lights at the end of the tunnels, you know, after, you know, difficult years and difficult periods. So, yeah, it was just amazing being on the bench and the whole environment of it, you know, yeah. potentially the thought of, you know, potentially coming on and playing, yeah, it was really great, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Talk us through sort of... um the first team environment at Barnsley. So obviously, season before, Barnsley done really well, and obviously this season things have sort of changed uh, a lot in terms of their performance. What's sort of been the vibe around the club? Um, it's just been relegated to League One, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, what's sort of been the vibe around the club? What have been some of the struggles Barnsley have faced? Um. <sighs> Um, I'd like to say, um, you know, it's just obviously a change of, um, change of a little bit of a change of, you know, staff and everything, which can obviously alter the environment. You know, once, you know, from the last season where they had a manager and specific staff and everything, so the change of, you know, the experience and you know adapting to that correctly is is really important. So, you know, I feel like that. And potentially could influence it and the environment around, you know, how that affects, you know, the players and the environment around it. Mm. Yeah. For sure. 
it just shows how difficult you know the championship is as a as a league and like props to bonds even getting there you know it's like it's, it's a huge achievement so yeah just like i think it's hard to get promoted but it's even harder to, to kind of stay stay in the league right so yeah exactly so, yeah. Yeah. yeah championship is one of the most oh yeah difficult leagues. people talk about a championship being one of the best leagues in the world like uh because because every game anyone can be anyone really um it's all about yeah. on the day so yeah so it's interesting to talk about a championship perspective um in terms of like psychology support at academy level you know what do you feel um can be improved in terms of the psychology at academies maybe when i was at west ham maybe we could have had more like specific sessions set out in our um you know our, our program to an extent but when i was there we didn't really have it set out it was obviously optional for us to go and see them mm. yeah maybe just having it yeah like, yes incorporated into the in, into the program and stuff like that mm. yeah for sure so i was just gonna ask so how do you feel like is the kind of not really vibe but do you find it's kind of hard to get buy-in from academy players in terms of like really the importance of the, the, the mental side of sport do you find it's obviously you you your opinion will be heavily biased because you're studying psychology and you know you're seeing all the benefits but for other for other players is it sometimes tricky for them to kind of buy into like oh or you know open up maybe of like you know expressing themselves showing their vulnerabilities etc is that a challenge have you seen or yeah definitely i feel like it's you know there's still probably a stigma around it you know Mm. players they might not understand it and how it can benefit them but yeah I just I don't know I feel like you know other players around they might not see the value of it because maybe because of like gym and that you can't really measure it and stuff like that so they might not want you know you know want to um, jump into it but you know my experience of you know working with the academy sports psychologist at Barnsley where I was working with younger footballers and that mm. no we, we try to make it more you know accessible to them and you know um delivering the psychological session in a way that can you know so that they can understand so for example you know with younger academy players using like snakes and ladders analogies and stuff like that in order to you know allow them to you know enjoy the experience and stuff like that which is has really helped so i feel like you know maybe presenting in that way it can really be beneficial you know yeah i was just gonna say i went to visit uh, a danish academy um last week and a, a way that they kind of try to get younger players to buy in you know psychology support is social modeling so they've brought previous players that have actually had psychology support come in and do like talks to kind of show the benefits also injured players that have you know had psychology support so once again i think what you're doing there like the work it's, it's fantastic because you're you're a player yourself and you're seeing the value of it so it's, it's fantastic yeah yeah uh, yeah i've seen on your podcast as well you you've got a lot of young young footballers going on there as well obviously talking about the importance of psychology so it's, it's similar to what we're doing with this podcast you know the more players talk about the importance of psychology, the more it's going to get used and become more normalised um, because it can provide so much, so much value. Um, in terms of like making it to the professional game for, for academy players, what are some of the most important psychological attributes 
you feel make us successful? And we could talk specifically around goalkeepers, to be fair. What are some really important psychological attributes you feel a goalkeeper should possess if they want to make it to the professional game? Yeah, so for me, I feel like, or yeah, I feel like you just have to be able to have a high level of confidence. Confidence because, you know, we're already in a position where if you make a mistake, everyone's on you. So if you if you have no confidence, then you won't be able to, you know, last. Because, you know, you have to, you know, be able to believe in yourself despite, you know, after making a mistake, after maybe conceding a goal, which, you know, makes you feel bad. You have to, you know, go again and have confidence in your, in your abilities. You know, you also have to be able to concentrate, you know, throughout the 90 minutes. You know, it might not touch the ball for a while, but you need to be able to have that, you know, mental strength to stay engaged to the game. Yeah. Unless, you know, you will just, you won't be ready you know, properly, you know, prepared to like for a shot that comes out very quickly and stuff like that, as well as, um, you know, resilience, because, you know, keeper, especially me, I've experienced, I've definitely developed it through my time, Chelsea, West Ham, Barnsley as well, you know, just, you know, there's only one position. So sometimes you might not be the number one every time in your career or, or going through the academy system. So, you know, being able to keep, working hard despite not playing and just you know having those high standards so it's like you know you got to be relentless you got to be relentless to you know day in day out but if you if you want to make it to the highest level yeah you can't you know slack because you know it's okay the, the keeper ahead of you gets injured and you're not ready then that's that's a missed opportunity and you won't be able to perform to the the standard required so yeah it's just always being ready and prepared as well yeah i'm interested to dive, dive in some of the scenarios you, you you just mentioned there so obviously the first one was sort of when you make a mistake are there any sort of psychological strategies you sort of implement obviously when you make a mistake as a goalkeeper it often leads to a goal which is is huge um what's what's some psychological strategies you implement anything like self-talk or anything like that yeah so i was you know, through working with the sports psychologist at West Ham, I was able to, you know, develop positive self-talk yeah. and some breathing techniques as well, which I incorporated and, and just used in training, which, you know, massively Im positively impacted my, you know, experience in training and, you know, my performance as well. Because, you know, before that, you know, I just bottle it up and just let it, it would, you know affect your mental state you know the frustration the anger would build up and you wouldn't you know be able to concentrate properly and focus on the next you know the next save the next pass and everything but once I started using that you know saying so now I use it till this day you know stuff like you know come on Dan next one Dan like just you know speaking to myself in that in that way that you know helps me to okay cool I've done that brush it off breathe and then you know come on then next one yeah. stuff like that helps me you know get over those mistakes and just keep stay focused and maintain that you know high performance yeah something i used to do in terms of like self-talk when i when i thought i was having a bad game missing a few chances i'm a striker um i used to do like a sort of a countdown where i'd count down from three and then i used to say to myself you know if i'm having a bad game and i'm missing chances the minimum i can do is 
work hard, press the defence, force mistakes. So after this countdown, I'm just literally going to graft for the team. Um, so I count down. That's sort of like a reset for me after I've done that. I forget everything that's happened before. And that was something that helped me a lot. Um, in terms of the next scenario that you mentioned, it was about staying ready. Um, I'm sure you've been in games where, especially for some of the clubs that you played for, where you've dominated possession. I feel like a huge one is is someone like Edison to stay ready, where mm-hmm. Man City are just dominating the ball and the other team's half. And he might only need to make two or three saves, but when those saves are needed, he's going to have to make sure he's ready to save them, you know? What are some strategies you implement to keep yourself engaged in the game? Yeah, definitely through communication. So okay. just, you know, I'm a big, I'd say that I'll, I pride myself in the fact that I've, I'm an excellent communicator. So <laughs> I, I try to, you know, communicate effectively to the team, you know, if we're, you know, higher up in the opposition's half, you know, just making sure my, the guys that are staying back to defend are, you know, switched on, you know, if the ball's, you know, in and around, just telling the team to tuck in and stuff like that, that helps me stay engaged and involved, you know, so yeah, I feel like for me, it's definitely just communication and just staying aware of everything that's happening in the game. Yeah, for sure. And then the final one, and this is one that Ben Foster talks about a lot, because uh, obviously he he records his training sessions a lot on his YouTube channel, is not being number one at, at some clubs. What's your mentality if you're a number two or number three? I know that Ben Foster talks a lot about supporting the first team goalkeeper and it's sort of a goalkeeper's union it's quite interesting because you're all fighting for the number one spot but you're all still preparing the number one guy for the game so he's match ready so what's sort of your mentality around that what's your perspective yeah so you know it is is beautiful the gk union so you know the times where i was at you know west ham or even since i was young from chelsea where i might have not been playing and you know just throughout you just have to, for me, I always, you know, make sure that I just always treat the keeper how I wish to be treated. So, you know, during the warm-up, always making sure, you know, the service, the the quality and everything is at, to a high level, what I'd, what I'd want to expect and always, you know, just motivating them, especially, you know, you know, throughout, like whenever I'm not playing, if I'm second choice or I'm on the bench, I try to, you know, in the warm-up and everything, just encourage them, like when, if they make a save and stuff like that just encourage them, just, you know, just try and be that, um, a, a, um, a teammate, a teammate that I would want to have, you know, because I, I feel like it just really creates a good environment to work in and stuff like that. When you have keepers like that, they just, you know, push each other on that, you know, we, we all understand that, you know, there's only one spot, there's only one person playing, but I just feel like, you know, if especially if you're with a teammate or another goalkeeper's part, you know, that's with you and they're sulking and stuff like that. It doesn't, it doesn't help anything. It doesn't help yourself. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, 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 it doesn't, it's interesting dynamic. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, um, it doesn't benefit myself if I'm doing stuff like that. It's just, you know, for me, I feel like it's always good to be positive and, you know, share that positive energy and, encourage and just be a good team, teammate in that sense mm. I love what you said at the start there like treat people how you want to be treated I feel like that's that, that should be a given in anyone's life um, mm. so it's good that you brought that up in terms of obviously your playing career is far from over you're still a young buck um, do you aspire to be a sports psychologist um, like 
during your career or, or after your career? Like, what, what are your sort of future plans? You know, the ten, to be honest, I'm, I'm planning on, yeah, I aspire to be a sports psychologist, definitely, you know, through my experience of, you know, how psycholo- psychology has benefited me, you know, throughout my playing career so far and, you know, studying psychology in school growing up. So, yeah, definitely I want to, you know, become accredited and become, you know, a practitioner. So it's obviously just deciding, it's obviously depending on how, where I play and everything, but I'm definitely on the, going to, you know, just still stick with it and see what happens. My aim is to obviously, you know, I'm in the second year going into, just finished my second year of my undergrad degree now of psychology. So I'm going into my final years, just thinking about my dissertation and that. And then, so start of the, you know, next year, I'm going to be starting to, you know, think of whether I should do the master's course and stuff like that. So yeah, just, you know, going to try and keep on progressing and, you know, studying by distance learning alongside my, my football as well, you know, just with the aims of, you know, you know, becoming an accredited sports psychologist as well as, you know, playing at the highest level to potentially, which will, you know, open doors for me, you know, post-career or, you know, during it and see what I could do whilst I'm, whilst I'm playing and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's the vision. Fantastic. I think if you have any questions in terms of, like, you know, the accreditation process, like, we've gone through it, but we haven't finished yet. We're still uh, in the mix, but we'd love to kind of help you out if, you, if you're interested and, uh, and yeah. yeah. What you what, what are you thinking about doing your dissertation on? Do you, yeah. do you have yeah, like an I idea? Think you, guys, you guys probably a guess. You guys, <laughs> yeah, just um, in linked with obviously everything I've been doing with my podcast, with my um, YouTube channel and everything. Yeah, just looking into athletic identity and trying to gain more information and deeper understanding into that and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the aim. Yeah. One thing I really tried to do on my master's was try and develop value. Uh, I, I did a lot of research around developing value in youth academy players uh, in education. So when I was at a club, uh, they often looked at schoolwork as sort of a hassle in the way of football. Yeah. Um, but obviously yourself, you clearly value psychology and that's helping you mentally. In, in terms of your mental health, I, I definitely feel like that's something that needs to be done in academy football where there's a lot of focus being put. I know that clubs do put players through education, but is it put in in the right way? Like, are they valuing it or is it just yeah, something yeah, in the way? Yeah. So that could be interesting, uh, interesting venture in terms of research. I would love to see. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll note that down potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you ever want me to send in any of my assignments that I've done, because I, I did a lot around academy football because sort of my interest was around, like, obviously, I, I'm from Leicester, so a lot of my friends when I grew up played for Leicester, and it's like they got released when on their scholars, and then to sort of see where they are now, like, it just wasn't... Because they were seen as, like, the top dogs at school. You yeah. Know what yeah. I mean? Um, I feel like it's so sad like to see that in a lot of academy young boys so it's a, it's a big thing to take at 16 as well especially when you're so touted around I'm going to be a footballer and then suddenly you're not and that identity is taken away from you nice. it's that high, higher educational status what you need which is another positive transition factor as well as a wider identity literally you just you literally just hit the nail on the head of 
you know everything we talk about on my on my podcast and everything yes yeah, it's, yeah. It's deep. um in terms of like your youtube channel uh the, do you want to give us a bit more about that like um you know feel free to like plug yourself plug it. and sell it yeah 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 it's just literally my name daniel janordi and yeah it's all about so you know once i was a first year professional at west ham I was in my first year of studying psychology and I was, you know, trying to look at, because obviously I was I was a bit sceptical about whether to, you know, continue with my psychology degree as well as being a pro at West Ham and that. So I was looking online to see that like, other people who would do it, who are doing it and like, just to see how it would be, whether I'd be able to manage it and stuff like that. And I, I didn't really see anything like it. So, you know, the start around the start of last year, I was just thinking like, I just really had this urge to, you know, I was just contemplating over it for a couple of months and just, you know, decided that, you know, I wanted to be that role model just to, you know, show people that it's possible to do it, you know, be successful both in football and, you know, higher education. So, yes, yeah, just my YouTube channel is issue, just a documentation of my journey of, you know, hopefully, you know, becoming a sports psychologist. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long chat <laughs> yeah so it's basically a documentation of yeah me hopefully becoming a sports psychologist one day through my uni course and everything as well as you know how I you know hopefully one day play at the highest level of football so yeah it's just showing you guys or showing you know my, my viewers how I balance football and university doing stuff like day in the lives, match day vlogs of, you know, when I was on the bench in the championship, how I'd be, you know, revising or doing my assignments on the coach to games and stuff like that. And just, yeah, different things that taking you on the journey of the professional side of football, as well as the like academic side of, you know, revision tips, how I literally, you know, come home and make sure I get the highest grades in my assignments and stuff like that. So some really good stuff on there. If you, you guys should check it out, definitely. It gives you a real insight into, you know, how it really is behind the scenes. Sure. All links to that will be in the description of the YouTube video to your podcast as well. Like, honestly, anyone who's interested, definitely check it out. Um, I, when I was doing my research around you, like, you're, you're hustling, man. I love to see it. Like, <laughs> bright things ahead for you, for sure. Um, but, yeah, no, in terms of, like, all the questions we had for you, that was everything, so... Honestly, it was a, it was class having you on, having this chat. It was a, it was a good insight into the life of a player as well as someone who's developing that wider identity. It's like it's like the dream chat for me in terms of all the research I've done around it. Um, it's a pleasure to see someone actually doing it. You know. Yeah, no, it's um, thank you for having me on. It's you know, pleasure what you guys are doing, especially the sports psychology stuff is is really good. You know, all these these type of chats chats are always so interesting. For sure. I have, yeah. Honestly, thanks so much for coming on. Um, but yeah, no, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you could please share it with your friends or someone you would feel will benefit from it. Most importantly, like, subscribe, comment down below any questions or guess you'd like us to get on in the future. Also, go follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links will be in the description of the YouTube video or find us at Master in the Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.